Hello, everyone, and welcome to the August 17th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Fols, an attorney with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A recent court decision may have the potential to change the practice of side deductible agreements in workers' compensation insurance policies in California, a practice that some say often goes under the regulatory radar. Here's what happened in the case of Zurich American Insurance Company versus Country Villa Service Corporation filed in the United States District Court for Central California. Zurich Insurance had such a side deductible agreement with Los Angeles-based Country Via Surface Corporation. The side agreement altered the deductible structure in the policy. However, Zurich did not file the deductible agreement with the Workers' Compensation Insurance Rating Bureau as required by Insurance Code Section 11658. The insured was sued by Zurich for breach of contract. But Country Via challenged the validity of the policy for failure to follow the regulatory approval process. The federal judge granted the company a partial summary judgment. Specifically, the judge found that the incurred deductible agreement attached to the policy was illegal, void, and unenforceable since it violated Insurance Code Section 11658 that requires such policies to be reviewed by the WCIRB and approved by the California Department of Insurance. This decision is not final and not a final determination until there has been years of additional litigation and possibly appeals, but it may force insurers to file any side agreements with regulator regulators before a policy is issued. Zurich was forced into a settlement in 2013 with the California Department of Insurance over a similar side agreement conflict. In that settlement, Zurich admitted no liability or wrongdoing, but agreed to make the filings and agreed not to enter into or amend a deductible agreement with a California employer unless it has been submitted to the WCIRB and California Department of Insurance for review. The court in the Zurich versus Country Via case cited the terms of that settlement. The Court of Appeal ruled that an unskilled temp was a special employee who could not bring legal action against his special employer for negligence. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of Franco versus West Coast Pipe Inspection. Jose Franco was employed by TempServe, a temporary staffing agency. He was assigned to work for West Coast pipe inspection as a general laborer assisting a West Coast forklift driver to help load and unload trailers with pipe. Every day when he reported to work, he would locate the forklift driver who would give Franco the lineup for the day. Franco spent the workday with the forklift driver receiving instructions regarding their tasks and was never instructed or supervised by anyone from TempServe. Although West Coast could not fire Franco, West Coast could remove him from the job at any time. West Coast provided the hammer and table saw Franco used to do his job. However, 
Franco and TempServe provided Franco safety equipment, such as a hard hat, gloves, eye protection, and steel-toed boots. In 2009, a pipe struck Franco, injuring his foot and knee. His medical bills and disability payments were paid by workers' compensation insurance. He also filed a civil complaint for negligence against West Coast and the forklift operator, both of whom moved for summary judgment on the ground that West Coast was Franco's special employer and therefore Franco is statutorily barred from bringing a negligence action. The trial court agreed and granted the summary judgment motion and dismissed the case. The Court of Appeal affirmed in the unpublished case. The primary consideration is whether the special employer has the right to control and direct the activities of the alleged employee or the manner and method in which the work is performed, whether exercised or not. Branko provided unskilled labor, and this labor was directly supervised by the forklift driver. Thus, West Coast had the power to direct and control Franco, which made him a special employee. A new lawsuit alleges that for nearly a dozen years, top officials at the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection knowingly withheld death benefits from the families of 14 contracted firefighter pilots killed in the line of duty. The claim seeks more than $4 million in damages plus interests for the survivors. It alleges that since 2002, high-level executives of Cal Fire, including the current director, the current deputy director, and their predecessors, engaged in a pattern of deceit and deception designed to dissuade them from seeking any death benefit from Cal Fire. A Cal Fire spokeswoman said that the department has not yet formally received the claim, but it has been working on benefits for survivors of Jeffrey Hunt, a contracted pilot killed last October and also has been reviewing records to ensure that past CAL FIRE contracted pilots have also received them. The claim is a likely precursor to a court battle over the interpretation of a state law. CAL FIRE and other agencies, including the U.S. Forest Service, contract for firefighter pilots through private companies. The statute requires CAL FIRE to pay a one-time death benefit if a contracted pilot dies while performing the duties specified in the contract. The survivors say U.S. Forestry Service contracts are covered by the law because the pilots perform firefighting duties for the state. The attorney representing the family said that the department has never followed the law leaving some grieving families to struggle financially after their primary breadwinner perished. Federal public employee death benefits exclude contractors, including pilots, who fly firefighting aircraft. Cal Fire is working with federal authorities to get rid of the exclusion and ensure federally contracted pilots receive federal benefits. In the absence of a federal death benefit, state law requires Cal Fire to make a lump sum payment to pilots' survivors commensurate with the death benefit payable to a mid-career firefighter employed by the department. 
Alternatively, it can pay an amount equal to what the federal program would have paid at the time of the pilot's death had he or she been eligible. The federal benefit was $262,100 in 2003 when two pilots named in the claim, John Atardo and Carl Dubair, died fighting the East Highlands Fire in San Bernardino County. The current federal lump sum benefit is $339,310. And now our fraud report. 53-year-old Mark Tierbeek, an Oakland workers' compensation attorney, is allegedly involved in a massive corruption case filed by the FBI's Public Corruption and Civil Rights Squad and unsealed this week. The FBI and IRS raided Terbeek's office in January 2015, and since then he has been cooperating with investigators. Tarbeek has been informed by the U.S. Attorney that he is also a target of the investigation and is likely to be prosecuted. A sworn affidavit signed by an FBI special agent was attached to the criminal complaint filed against Daniel Rush, a cannabis union leader who faces serious federal charges. According to the affidavit, Daniel Rush was an official with the United Food and Commercial Workers Union that had established a cannabis division to organize dispensary employees. He was also closely involved in Measure D, the process to regulate medical marijuana dispensaries in Los Angeles, and also connected to legalization's most prominent pitchman, Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom. In 2010, Rush got in over his head when he borrowed $600,000 from Martin Kaufman, a dispensary operator that he could not pay back. Then in 2014, Rush and workers' compensation attorney Tarbeek, who represented some of the dispensary companies in the area, took steps to provide labor benefits to Kaufman in exchange for forgiveness of the debt. Carl Anderson had an Oakland pot club until 2005 and wanted a new permit in 2010. Anderson tapped Rush and Turbeek for help with the application. Anderson is also cooperating with the FBI. According to the allegations of the affidavit, Tarbeek admitted to the FBI that he had been paying kickbacks to Rush for sending Tarbeek legal workers' compensation cases since 2004. Rush encouraged Tarbeek to acquire a workers' compensation law practice to litigate cases referred by the Instituto Laboral de la Raza. In exchange, Tarbeek gave Rush a credit card associated with Tarbeek's law firm and Tarbeek paid it off routinely. Tarbeek also allegedly agreed to share legal fees with Rush derived from Tarbeek's clients seeking permits to operate marijuana dispensaries in California, Nevada, and elsewhere. It is likely that this case will become more complex and involve higher-level accomplices as it evolves. Only Rush has been charged so far, and others are cooperating with authorities, meaning providing information that will lead the FBI on with a complex investigation. 
The union claims it has fired Daniel Rush. Michael Drabeau pleaded guilty more than a year ago to criminal charges related to paying more than $20 million in kickbacks and bribing California State Senator Ron Calderon to preserve a loophole in state law that enabled him to charge insurers sky-high prices for spinal hardware used at the Pacific Hospital of Long Beach. He is scheduled to be sentenced next year. The State Compensation Insurance Fund filed a RICO case against Drabeau and others in federal court to recoup payments it made to the defendants who it alleges concealed the system of illegal kickbacks, fee splitting, corporate practice of medicine, and other misconduct. The state fund pleadings and documents filed in that case make an interesting read, if not a well-documented tutorial on the dark side of the practice of medicine. Michael Drabot last April filed a 15-page third-party complaint for equitable indemnity and declaratory relief against 22 doctors, health executives, chiropractors, and a lawyer. Equitable indemnity says, in theory, that Drabot should not have to pay the state fund, but if it ends up that he does, then he wants others to share the blame with him and pay the damages. On August 10, Drabat filed his first amended third-party complaint, again asking others who profited from the enterprise to step forward and pay the state fund should it prevail in the case. The amended complaint adds details, substance, some dollar values to the terse information previously alleged by Drabat. More importantly, the alleged schemes for hiding kickbacks such as research fees, consulting agreements, and the like are more clearly alleged. One illustrative example is the allegations against Philip Sobol, M.D., a physician and principal of Sobol Orthopedic Medical Group. Sobol allegedly referred patients and performed surgeries at the Pacific Hospital of Long Beach between 2005 and 2013. During that same time frame, there were option agreements between the parties to purchase his medical practice. Over $5 million was paid to Sobol under this option agreement, which the state fund alleges disguised payments for unlawful patient referrals that were computed and based on the number of patient referrals. A careful study of these pleadings would indeed be the basis for a claim investigation framework involving any of these parties and a good learning experience on how kickbacks can be hidden. A marina man pleaded no contest to workers' compensation fraud in Monterey County Superior Court. 56-year-old Sven Hoffman was charged with felony counts of making a false statement for the purpose of obtaining workers' compensation benefits and of knowingly failing to disclose an event that affected his right to benefits. He will be sentenced on September 22nd. Hoffman was a prep cook and claimed that his right wrist was injured from kneading dough and later added his left wrist to the injury report. He received medical treatment as well as total temporary disability payments. He repeatedly indicated he could not return to work as he continued to receive these benefits. 
but an investigation showed that during this time, Hoffman failed to disclose he had been working and engaged in various activities, including cooking for a private party, working as a consulting chef at a local restaurant, providing a homemade pizza demonstration, and assembling office furniture. Surveillance also showed he was very active repairing a long section of a private fence and working out strenuously at a local gym. The felony charges carry a maximum penalty of five years in prison and a substantial fine as well as restitution. The employer has reported a loss of over $36,000. A former Santa Monica pain physician pleaded no contest this month to obtaining a controlled substance by fraud. 50-year-old Daniel Shin, MD, returns to court on November 4 for sentencing. Under the terms of a negotiated plea, he will be sentenced to three years in county jail. Shin, who has since lost his license to practice medicine, operated a pain management clinic at the corner of Wilshire Boulevard and Harvard Avenue in Santa Monica. Prosecutors said Shin, along with his office manager, 50-year-old Thomas Mark Osaransky, and a colleague, 39-year-old Dino Travato West, orchestrated a complex scheme to write and fill prescriptions for oxycodone. He faced 27 counts stemming from what the DA called an elaborate scheme to fill fake prescriptions for oxycodone using his colleagues as stand-ins for patients. West earlier pleaded no contest to conspiracy and multiple counts of obtaining a controlled substance by fraud and was sentenced to 32 months in state prison. Osaransky returns to court on September 17 for a pretrial hearing. California Medical Board records show that in 2009, Dr. Shin was placed on probation by the board for two years after admitting to violating the state business and professions code for failing to disclose a misdemeanor conviction. Shin was disciplined again in 2012 for failing to complete a clinical training program. He was then placed on five years probation. In March of 2014, Shin was ordered by a Sacramento County Superior Court judge to cease and desist from the practice of medicine. And in regulatory news, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners is ratcheting up its efforts to tackle cybersecurity issues. It is following up on its adoption of guiding principles for cybersecurity this spring and developing new reporting requirements for insurers. The NAIC is moving forward with three additional initiatives designed to help protect consumer information and educate the public about cyber risks. The Cybersecurity Task Force released a Consumer Cybersecurity Bill of Rights draft for public comment. The Bill of Rights is intended to set standards for helping consumers if their personal information is compromised. The task force expects to adopt these standards this summer. The task force is also coordinating with state insurance regulators to conduct examinations of insurance companies to verify companies are taking appropriate steps to protect sensitive data. 
and the NAIC is co-sponsoring a forum with the Center for Strategic and International Studies on September 10 in Washington, D.C., entitled Cyber Risk Management and Insurance. Cyber experts, policymakers, and business leaders will discuss cyber risks faced by American businesses and consumers and how best to manage those risks. Bumblebee Foods will pay $6 million for the 2012 death of an employee who was cooked in an industrial oven with tons of tuna. This is the biggest settlement ever in California for workplace safety violations involving a single victim. 62-year-old Jose Molina was loading a 35-foot-long oven at the company's Santa Fe Springs plant in 2012 when a co-worker mistakenly filled the pressure cooker with 12,000 pounds of canned tuna and it was turned on. Molina's body was found two hours later after the pressure cooker reached 270 degrees and was turned off and opened. The state investigation said the manned oven system was inherently dangerous. The DA said Bumblebee will pay $3 million to replace all of its outdated tuna ovens with automated ovens and will never require workers to set foot inside the superheated pressure steam cookers again. The company will also pay $1.5 million in restitution to Molina's family and it will pay the District Attorney's Environmental Enforcement Fund $750,000 for workplace safety programs and another $750,000 in fines, penalties, and court costs. In addition, Saul Flores Bumblebee's former safety manager pleaded guilty to a felony count of willfully violating lockout rules and indirectly causing Molina's death. He was sentenced to three years probation, ordered to complete 30 days of community labor, and assessed $19,000 in fines and penalties. And another co-defendant, Angel Rodriguez, Bumblebee's Director of Plant Operations will be allowed to plead guilty to a misdemeanor in 18 months if he completes 320 hours of community service, pays $11,400 in fines, and takes classes on confined space rules. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Skern, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.